All right. Hey, 4D Nation, we're back, season four. Uh, we're excited for today's interview. As you've probably seen with some of our past interviews, uh, we've taken a little bit of a spin and a twist with, our, with what we're doing, and we're, we're doing segments where we interview college coaches. We thought it's an opportune time with, with the way things are going uh, to give you guys a chance to meet some of these college coaches, learn what they're doing, and have them give you some inside look as to what they look at inside the meeting, inside the boardroom, on how they recruit specialists as well. So today we have uh, Rob Erickson. He is the special teams coordinator and cornerbacks coach for the South Dakota State University Jackrabbits. It's a Division I AA school out of South Dakota, and they're a powerhouse program up in the Midwest. And for me personally, being from the, from the Minnesota area, it's been really fun to see the South Dakota State growth over the years. And uh, they're on to some good things. So uh, with that, Coach Erickson, uh, welcome to the 4th Down Experience Podcast. Yeah, it's a pleasure being here. I, I really appreciate the invite. Um, excited to sit and talk special teams with you and, and just understand, um, you know, better the Minnesota area and, and really, um, you know, learn more about special teams. Yep. So let's start it off here, Coach. Um, you know, some people who listen to us nationwide may not be familiar with South Dakota State, although they should. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got to where, you, uh, where you're at and, and, and how things are at South Dakota State are doing. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, so I um, grew up in, in Wisconsin. Um, I'm a Midwest guy. Um, grew up in Stevens Point, which is right in the center uh, of Wisconsin, and spent most of my college playing days and coaching career in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and mostly at the Division three level. Um, I played college football at the University of Wisconsin-Platteville, which is a Division three uh, school, and then went on to get into coaching right after that and started at Stevens Point High School, went back home, and then from there uh, bounced around from UW-Stevens Point, where I became a graduate assistant, then back to UW-Platteville as a defensive coordinator, where I was there for seven years, and then most re recently was the defensive coordinator um, at the University of Wisconsin Whitewater, uh, which is a, is a pretty powerful program in Division Three, And all along the way, I've pretty much been a defensive coordinator, defensive coach, uh, but I've always worked uh, very closely with special teams and had a strong interest in understanding how special teams work and how they're tightly re related to defense in terms of getting off blocks and, and angles and, and all those things and the organizational piece that goes with it. And uh, been able to work with some really good special teams coaches over the years and specialist coaches over the years to, uh, to put me in a position that I currently now uh, for the last year have been at South Dakota State. Um, it's an unbelievable school, um, rich in tradition in football, great people, great community. And as you said, we're, we're FCS level football. And now I'm the special teams coordinator, corners coach. And it's an awesome opportunity and I'm, one I take very serious and one I'm really excited about. Coach, uh, it's pretty cool hearing uh, Wisconsin so much already in this conversation. Um, I'm, I've been living in the South my whole life, but I was actually born in La Crosse and was only there for one year as a baby. Is there anything you can tell me about it? Like, what's it look like? Is there any people that live there? or Is it still in America? Anything of that sort? <laughs> La Crosse, you saying, or just Wisconsin in general? I don't know, both. <laughs> <laughs> La Crosse is there. Uh, Wisconsin is there. Um, COVID, like across the country, is hitting the state of Wisconsin fairly hard right now. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, La Crosse is a beautiful area. The bluffs there are up in Mississippi. Um, when it's fall season, the colors, it's, it's a beautiful area. Um, the guys at Whitewater wouldn't like me saying that because if there's a huge rival, it's, uh, it is UW-La Crosse. So 
Um, there's a lot of uh, hatred there in the rival rivalry, but um, no, in all respect to lacrosse, beautiful area, beautiful town, and a great part of the state of Wisconsin. Nice. See, I learned a little bit about my birthplace, um, <laughs> but well, we wanted to obviously dive in here for about 20 minutes and talk about some specialist unique type things. And uh, so we'll kind of just go right into it, coach. Um, whether you want to talk about all three skills or, or a particular one or two, uh, you know, what do you look for in a prospective kicker, punter, and or snapper? Yeah, great question. So starting with kicker, um, yeah, we'll talk about all three. I think this is a great topic and we're going to have uh, hopefully all three areas of listeners and, and, and more. Um, with kicker, you know, what I'm looking for there um, is a guy with leg strength, just natural leg strength. And you see that with film on his kickoffs. Uh, most kids, when they put their highlight videos together or they come into camp and that that's really where you see a lot of evaluation is when you see them in person and, and doing all their kicking in person. But uh, with a kicker, I look for leg strength because I, I truly believe, um, you know, like a pitcher in baseball, you can try to teach them accuracy if they're hitting in the mid-90s. Um, but if they're never going to get above 83, then they can be really accurate, but they're never going to get above 83. So it'd be nice to have a guy you know they can go out there for 50-plus to win a game, and you know you're going to get a shot because um, he's going to have the leg power to do that. So we look, I look for, for leg strength first. And, and with that, is, is he getting good height on his ball? Does it come off his foot with good pace and good elevation where it's going to clear the line of scrimmage? You know, those things I, I look for, uh, you know, on film and just in person, or is it more of a line drive, which then a higher risk of blocks and, and negative plays in that regard? Um, you know, from high school film, is he kicking off a black tee consistently or is he play, kicking off the ground? That helps me to kind of understand the learning curve and the, more the development phase that we're going to have with the young man um, if we end up taking him at our place. Um, a lot of guys that, that we end up recruiting are guys that we've got plenty of film or personal exposure to that have kicked off the ground, um, which, is a, which is a different skill in its own that I think that uh, would be good to see from, from kickers as we keep going through. And then, like, on kickoffs, you know, the ball gets moved back five more yards in, in college. You know, so you see a lot of kids when they – you know, their high school kickoff film, you know, they're putting on a two, three yard line. Well, that'd really be like the seven, eight yard line um, in the college game. So you kind of got to try to, to look at all those different variables. Um, and then obviously, how does he approach the ball? Is it pretty consistent? You know, does he stutter early? Is his first step nice and balanced and, and consistent so that his stride length is always consistent as well? But those are things technically that I'd like to think that just being three, four, or five years with the, with the young man, we can get him going in the right direction. As long as the leg strength is there um, and the intent to learn and grow is there, we can work with that. Um, in terms of punter, I'm looking for hang time on a ball. There's a turnover when you see it. When it just, you know, a lot of times, again, if you're in person, you just hear a good punt. It's like, a, again, I, I'm a big baseball guy, so you can kind of hear when a ball comes off a bat. It just sounds different when it's hit right. Just like a punt, just like a kick. It sounds different when it's hit right. And when it's hit right, does he, does he get it up in the air? Does it turn over? Does he consistently get it to turn over? Um, what's the, again, what's the, the height that the height will help carry the distance? Um, looking for that with a punter. And if there's anything, like we do some rugby rollout stuff. And so if there's any, any film on it, a height, you know, like a game film where he's rolling out, that helps us too kind of get an evaluation on the kid. Can he move the pocket a little bit, put the ball in place and, and, and put it where it needs to go? Um, I would say in terms of, and operational too, you know, is he a long three-step approach kid that, hey, trying to get him to speed up his operation, is that going to really throw him off, you know, his game and really be a struggle for him? So can he get it off in good pace and good time 
and all those things. Um, in terms of a long snapper, you know, look, I'm going to time it. You know, I, it's like a 40 time in a corner. It says I run a 4-4. Four, four, and then you watch them on film and you get your own stopwatch and it's 4 six, eight. You know, so, you know, I want to see a long snapper when they get on film or you see them in person. I'll put a, my own stopwatch on so I get a good, accurate look. Um, so I'm looking to see how fast he can get that ball back there for 15 yards because that's where we're going to start from. And does he put a good location on it? Is it high by the shoulder, then next one down by the toes, another one left, another one right? You know, accuracy and punters, they like the ball in this right spot every time. And we coach our guys to aim for the right hip of the punter. That's their aiming point every single snap and then with great velocity. So um, looking for all those, obviously the more polished a kid is, the more excited recruiting-wise we get, you know, with the young man. Um, but there are some kids that have tremendous tools that are maybe a little bit more raw, and you just know you gotta you got to work with them. Um, but really, you know, leg strength and velocity on snaps are some of the main keys I'm looking for when I'm looking at, at young men. Well, I love all those res responses. I mean, really good detail for all three skills. And I thought it was very, very nicely done. And, and I learned some things myself. Um, just real quick, uh, sparked a question for me, coach, on, on the yeah. long snappers. You know, like when we're running camps or you're seeing, you know, a lot of kicking coaches, punting coaches, snapping coaches, you know, um, w for me personally, when I post like a, a video of a kid hitting a couple punts, you know, if I felt like I got it at like a 4-4, four, 4-5, four, four, you know, I may just be better off saying like 4-3 plus, you know, and but we see a lot of camps and kicking instructors, snapping instructors, et cetera, that they may throw a snap up there and say like 0.62 or 0.67, which, which first off is, is very hard to do at 14 yep. yards. And second off may not necessarily be the right way to snap if it's too hot. But I guess my question to you is like, as a college coach or when you're seeing like film like that from trainees or, or sorry, from specialists or from, from coaches and all that, that are outside of the college coaching realm, do you just kind of, do you kind of mute it and you just time it yourself? Or what do you do when you see like a four, nine ball that's put in the caption, but you're getting it like at a four, four or four or five? Yeah. So that's a great question. I mean, I don't, honestly, I don't clock every kid that I come across um, on my own. Um, you know, I'll look and if it says, you know, in a really impressive number, you know, like you said, 0.69, 0.68, when you watch that film, it better be, it better be a different speed than the most kids you watch. Cause that is a pretty rare speed that that's getting back there pretty quick. So then, yeah, I'll probably clock that. And we might be off just a tick. And if we're off just a tick, it's still impressive. So then you, you know, I'll move forward with that. Uh, where you kind of then, if that's one of the first captions you see on a kid when they put their highlight film together is, you know, I, these are my first four snaps. They're all four, six, they're all 0 0.65, 0 0.63, point whatever. And I'm timing them and they're 0 0.78, 0 0.8. You know, they're just not even really close. Then I just lose validity a little bit in my head about what the kid really puts out there and what's false and, and what's not. Not that, not that the kid or the producer of the video is, is trying to be misleading. I always think everybody's got great intentions, but it does. It just kind of makes you wonder a little bit where I got to see this guy in person because it's really not not there. I'd rather just make it as accurate as you can, and it is what it is, and you you know you can live with it and you can work with it. And if it's not good enough, unfortunately, in this world, it's just not it's not good enough. Um, but I'd rather do that for everybody's sake, for time's sake, and for just for um, just for being 
real, I guess. That's just how we are in Raccoon. It's how I am very candid, very open, and uh, just, just throw the cards on the table and see how this thing goes, you know. Yep. Ultimately, it seems like if it passes the eye test, you have a general sense of what you want to see, regardless of maybe what data is, is posted on the, on, the, on the screen. Right. Um, to feed right. off that, um, you've been in the game for a while. And actually, I just I looked it up. We missed each other by a year, actually, in college. I, I went to the University of St. Thomas and, and oh. crossover with some Wyatt games. So we missed each other by a year. But okay. Uh, a question that we have oftentimes at our camps, and, and it comes with trying to advise kids on what to do, is the topic of the T. Uh, and, and if they're going to a college-run camp like, like yours, um, or they're making training film or camp film, um, is it better to show you that they can kick off the ground kind of well because it's, it's still in development, or is it better that they just blast a ball off a one-inch tee to show you that the leg swing is there and the potential in the ball flight? What, what, would, what would you prefer, and how do you sort of adjust based on what you see? Yeah, no, that's, that's, an odd, that's <clears throat> maybe the million-dollar question when it comes to kickers. Um, first thing I tell a kid is I'm recruiting them, and they got a, maybe a junior, <laughs> senior year of, of high school in front of them. I always say, you do what you need to do for your team to win. Don't go out there and try to kick a 47-yard field goal or a 40-yard field goal off the turf when your team needs you to make that field goal. Don't worry about my impression or a different college coach out there trying to impress them by putting a 40-yard field goal out there off the ground. Go win the game for your teammates. They've invested time. You've invested time. It's all about that moment. So I always tell kids, if you're – if you've got the privilege and the opportunity to kick off a black tee in high school and bomb some, bomb some kicks away and win games, do it. Um, I'm all about it. I'll find plenty of film of you or find you at a camp in person where we can go and see you kick off the ground and I'll get a better understanding of that that way. Um, so I've always been open and candid with kids on that because, you know, high school football is an amazing experience and not everybody who plays high school, even though they want to play college, gets the opportunity to play college. So if you get the opportunity to kick in a game, do what the rules allow and put yourself, put yourself and the team in the best position to win. So that's, I don't know if that was the direction of your question, but I would always want them to kick off a of black tee if they, if they are allowed to in high school, as long as they're, is that, if that's what they're really comfortable doing. Um, eventually before I truly am going to be all in and, and invest in offering some type of offer on a kid, I'm going to want to see him several times kick off the ground. Um, whether that's a private workout or whether that's um, at a camp or, you know, whatever that might be, I'm going to want to see that kid kick off the ground um, because that does tell me about a little bit more of where do I need to invest my time with that kid once he gets to the campus? Cause he could be, like you said, bombing 60 yards off the team and then he gets off the ground and he can't get it over the offensive line and he struggles to kick it from 40. It's not saying the leg strength isn't there. It's just that now I'm going to have to really spend foot placement and steps and, and how things are going to be on his approach that might be maybe even too much for the kid, you know, to, to be where he needs to get to. So um, I don't, did I answer your question? Uh, that was perfect. That was perfect. Good. Hey, Coach, what are some things that recruits and even really specialists uh, should be doing on Twitter, uh, you know, during the pandemic? And even if there was not a pandemic or when this thing is over, what should these guys be doing on Twitter? Yeah, you could probably ask 20 college coaches that question and get 20 different answers. Um, I personally, what I like to see, and a lot of kids do this already, and it really helps me out a lot. So if I'm looking for like a kicker, they'll go and put 
nine consecutive kicks out there, or 12 consecutive kicks, whatever ball, how many balls they might have. And they'll lay it out left hash from the 25, middle 25, right hash 25, and they just move along. But the camera doesn't stop. And that way you know there's no um, – he had a bad day, good day. Um, he just put nine kicks out there. Maybe he made eight. Maybe he made seven. Maybe he made all nine. But it kind of gives me an idea of his consistency, what kind of angle he takes from the left hash, right hash, middle. Um, is his, you know, is his 90-degree mark? Can I see the difference? Does he swing his leg differently left to right um, compared to, you know, from the left hash to the right hash? Does he kind of keep it closed and kind of push it? You know, those are all things I'm looking for. But really, I'm just looking for the consistency. Where's the ball going through the uprights? Is he hitting it pretty good? And does it look like a consistent ball flight? Okay, that's good. That, to me, that's, that's a good film to watch. Um, whereas you, you put together just 20 kicks, and each kick you can tell is a different day. Well, you know, if I'm playing in a home run derby, I'm going to hit enough home runs to put 20 good swings on film after 700 hits, you know. Um, so I, I, the consistency is everything as a specialist. Um, you know, no one's going to make 100% of their kicks. And you just got to know, do they have a consistent work? And it, it's actually sometimes pretty good, too, on another note with that. How do they change their mind when they miss? Because they're going to miss a kick at some point. And do they just put their dauber down and not really focus on the next kick or can they what I call park it put it off to the side make the next kick and go and learn from it to me parking um it's like a car we all park our car when we go shopping and you, when you leave the car you go shopping you forget where the car's at until mm -hmm. you go back an hour later to the car so it's the yep. same thing with, with the skill in sports you make a, a bad decision you make a physical error park it don't forget about it. Here's something to flush it. Let it go. Let it go. Well, no, learn from it. And then come back to it an hour, watch the film, see what you need to do better to get better so you don't make that same mistake. But you got to move on to the next kick. And how do kids do that if they put nine, ten kicks together like that? That, that does help me kind of a little bit psychologically tell me where they're at. Yeah. Um, on the recruiting side of things, uh, obviously the uncut film is something you like to see. If a kicker can't quite get their snapper to work with them, is there anything that they can do in their, their own personal training videos or even a camp video that, that can kind of better show uh, like a realistic kind of operation or as close to, a, you know, a game-like uh, rep as possible? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's a great question. I, I don't know how that – because unfortunately for punters and kickers, you are – especially kickers, I mean, there's three parts to it, snap, hold, kick. And if any one of the first two operations are a little off, it can really mess with you, you know. So – I, I'm actually pretty good with kids when they send me their videos and they're using the, the you know, the, the little tripod to hold the ball. I mean, I, I'm good with that. Um, if they can't put it all together to get, you know, with a great, with a great kick. Now, you know, I think we're all have been around kids that love being a specialist and they go to all these, you know, your camps and different camps. And so they're working with talented snappers and talented holders and talent. So those are really good clips to see too, because you're watching college, almost college ready kids working together and they tend to be pretty, pretty smooth on their operations. Maybe it's a tick slower than what we would like, but overall they manage it well. So I like watching those, but some kids just, you know, they don't go to all the camps and maybe they don't have the funding to do it. They don't have the opportunities to do it. So they have to, you know, put different cut-ups together. That's great advice. Great advice. Hey, Coach. So at, at, at our camps that we've seen and even just film from other kicking camps, it's very common to see 
during the punt charting phase or done, during some kind of punt phase, guys that cover about four to four and a half yards with a three-step, full-on three-step. And what we usually do at our camps is they come as they were, they are, you know, like, in, and they chart and we don't really mess with them too much. And then we instruct after, and, you know, we give them the tips on, you know, look into a short jab two-step or, or two-step approach, you know, only cover so much ground because of, you know, of the block point, et cetera. Um, but it's kind of like when you're talking to your sons and they don't want to listen to you. So they'll listen to uncle Johnny and they'll listen to what uncle Johnny says. So maybe listening to you and other special teams coordinators, maybe they'll listen. So I guess for you and your personal take on this, uh, the punt operation time from, from catch to foot, from snap to foot, from snap to catch all three. And then also that block point, you know, where should these guys be? hitting their max or what's staying within reach as far as yardage from catch to kick? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So operation. So what's worked for us now, again, everybody's got their own system and their own schemes. Um, so for us, what's worked for us is if we can get the ball off from snap, catch, punt, get it off in, in two seconds. Uh, we feel really good about that. Uh, that is, that has shown that as long as we get a general good punch on our coverage units, and our protection unit, we can get it off with that. So we're looking for about a 0.7 on the snap um, to get it from snap to the punter's hands. You know, we've had some that seem like they're faster than that. We've had probably more that are more in the 0 0.75, 0 0.76 range, uh, maybe in 7.2, you know, somewhere in there. Um, and then, um, you know, so the punter's got to deal with everything else from there. So we're looking for, so I chart, you everybody does we, we chart every operational time of every kick at practice and from what I've been able to see is that 2.0 out of 395 punts we did this this fall access that was right that was the average it was 2.003 something like that was our was our operation average and I felt like everything that was under really 2.1 to 2.15 ish we shouldn't have any problems. Even if we let a guy loose, we should probably be able to, to get it off. Um, so that's, that's our number. So I, I just thought guys, we got it 2.0. It's an easy number to remember. Let's get it off in 2.0. Let's get the ball back there in under 0.7 seconds. You know, punter, you got 1.3 seconds to take your steps and get it off. Okay. Um, for PAT, you know, what we've been really good. Uh, we feel like 1.25 is, is a really good operation time for us again. Uh, we met 1.25, somewhere around 1.22 and 1.28. Uh, we met that 47% um, of our time in our, in our kicks. So some were faster, some were slower. But, again, anything we felt like under 1.25, even if the corner doesn't get much touch at all and he's just coming off that edge, we, we're going to get that thing off in time. So that's our, our time for that. So that's just a clean operation. I – for me, I just snap it when the ball is snapped, and when the ball is kicked, bang, I stop the clock. So I don't, I don't use multiple stops. And to me, it's 1.25. Nice. That's great advice in general for everybody. What about the uh, launch pad coach for punt? You know, like if, they're, if you're 14 yards back, where do you want that guy punting the ball at, you know, as far as his launch point? You know, do you only want him covering three yards, two and a half yards, five yards? Yep. No more than 11. You can't punt the ball any closer than 11 yards from the line of scrimmage. Our shield, we use a shield, so we have those three guys, you know, back there, and their heels are at seven and a half yards, and they, they can't step back. We tell them you're on a cliff. 
you step back, you're going to take one off the rump. Um, so that means our punter, you got to do your job and you can't crowd their zone. You got to get that thing off, you know, with it at the very minimum 11 yards. Thanks coach. Yep. Great. Um, so coach, one thing that Brian and I are, are doing quite a bit is, and we're getting a lot of questions from specialists, like, you know, there, there seems to be that there's going to be a little backlog in the recruiting process for the 2021 kids, you know, like probably 60% of the colleges haven't even played football yet. And I think you guys start in the spring too, but if, if a, if an athlete's trying to figure out their college situation, how, how do you, how would you advise them on what to do? Like, is it going to be a later in the game kind of recruiting journey for them where they may not figure out till June or May or like, what's your take and how would you advise specialists on what you, what you know and see? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, for me, it's even been odd, you know, cause I've just, this was my first year at, at the division one level. So recruiting is different at division one to division two to division three and so on. And so this isn't a typical year for, for any level. Um, so we would typically have the class of 2021, probably 80 to 90% of the class finalized by this past summer, by June, July, four or five months ago. Um, with a few guys, we'd be kind of watching senior film, trying to find out where, where maybe some roster spots might open up. So this recruiting class, 2020, the class of 2021, it's still ongoing. So there's still, in our situation, I think, I think it's nationwide too, people are just waiting because you just don't know, is there going to be an opportunity I, I, I can get out and see these kids? Is there going to be an opportunity they can come visit our campus? Because right now we're called a dead period. Us college coaches can't go see the prospect and the prospect's not allowed to come to our campus. And so it's just kind of a lot of talking on the phone, exchanging video like this, like Zoom meetings and just getting to know people this way. But there's nothing like going to a school and seeing the buildings and smelling the grass and meeting the people and and just feeling your new home for the next four to five years. So that's been really challenging for the class of 2021. And so it's a longer process for them, but it is coming to a close. I mean, signing day is going to be in a month. So the class of 2021, the majority of the kids will be, will be done, I would say, within the next month. So, um, you know, there might be other opportunities uh, that present themselves after that, but the 2021 class will probably be pretty close to being, being wrapped up. Um, so for that, I mean, kids that had the film for me, I mean, with specialists, I was just watching a ton of Twitter tape, personal highlights, kids were punting off their deck. I mean, they're doing whatever they can to put film together, you know, and I really, um, applaud their efforts, you know, and, and trying to get something out there for us to be able to see. But, um, so now 2022, I think it's going to be pretty, hopefully back to normal, which would be basically, Come to, come to a spring junior day, get to know the staff, come to a, a summer camp, get yourself out there and compete against other people in your position and, and, and put your best foot forward. I do think it's going to be uh, maybe later in the spring than normal. We might not be opening up until April, May, somewhere in there. And so that's just a gut. I have no evidence of that. It's just kind of a gut that that could happen. So my, I guess my advice for kids that are in the class of 2022 is keep your summer open. Because when you get that opportunity and the NCAA finally says, all right, we've got it. Now, May, it's an open season. You better be ready to take college visits. You better be ready to get in the car and drive and, and do what you need and say, well, I got baseball tournaments. Like, you're gonna, the, boat, the windows are going to probably be pretty tight, and you don't want to miss the boat. So that would be my one kind of plug to kids in 2022. Be ready this summer 
to do a ton of traveling because you don't know when it's going to open up. But when it does, keep your calendar open. So. So going back to the 2021s, Coach, I mean, so, like, I mean, hypothetically, if, if I'm a 2021 and I want to wait till whenever to decide to go to college, I mean, couldn't I just stack myself against the 2022 and come compete in June and July and, and try to earn a scholarly? And if it's something that is promising, then just wait to start my clock for a year? You could. I mean, I guess technically you could do something like that, but then – you know, you're going to want to know what college you're going to probably by January or February, maybe even April. Let's say April at the end of this, you know, in three months, four months, you're going to want to know where you're going. And so uh, I guess the point I, with that is you, you could wait and, 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 and go against 2022 kids. And that would happen. I mean, I'm sure there's red shirt opportunities and, and different shirt opportunities for kids to, um, to compete against 2022 kids. But um I think, yeah, the class of 2021, I mean, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't I guess maybe I'm not understanding your question right, but I think it'll be tough for them to compete against 2022 kids because those kids are going to be, you know, obviously a year still in high school and stuff. So I think there's going to be about 90% of the 2021s that, that won't have an opportunity to go anywhere compared to, like, any other grad classes. It's kind of the numbers that I'm seeing. So, you know, I think – the 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 way we've been told and and been perceiving this thing the last six months is you know the twenty ones may just have gotten some bad luck and um, I guess I I kind of comparing it to the Australians that come over that are twenty seven twenty eight years old and their clock hasn't started you know so I I didn't know if there were any opportunities for twenty twenty ones where if they wanted to take a year to train and get stronger and now they're a nineteen year old you know, technically their clock hasn't started. I just didn't know if that was something that college coaches, obviously they'd be a year out of playing football, you mm -hmm. know, but, you know, looking at Australians, they're not playing any kind of football, organized football, right. other than wearing shoulder pads and helmets on film. And so I was just kind of exploring that concept. If I was a kid and I'm 17, 18 years old, would it behoove me to take a, a year to just train, get stronger, wear pads and helmets and film and show I can do this? And now I'm one year stronger and older i mean I'm, i may be completely off it was just something that i just want to throw out there was all no no i i'd love i now follow it now i'm understanding what you're saying i i was on the impression kids have already picked their school and they're going to gray oh. shirt and school's call and so on no so they're going to take like a gap year and just not go to college you know live at home make some money lift weights and then come and compete at a camp um i that is not a that's not out of the realm of possibility. And that will probably, that would probably happen almost like a free agent workout kind of in a way. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's not a, that's not a bad idea uh, for, for kids who feel like maybe they didn't get the exposure that they needed. You know, that, that, that's not a bad idea. Um, I, guess, I guess the true question is, is like, and I, I understand the cons to this too, is, you know, if a kid does decide to do that, but now he doesn't have a year of game film. Would would that game film from over a year to four years ago, would that still work in his favor? Or is it tough not having that one year of recent game film? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's an exact science to that. You know, yeah. I mean, game film means a lot to a college recruiter and evaluator. Um, for specialists, though, I think a lot of it comes down to just seeing them at some type of workout and really just seeing how they handle themselves, um, sitting back and just watching their approach to their craft 
and then just watching their ball flight and watching their technique and, and really thinking to yourself, can this kid make it at our place with the mechanics he has and the leg strength that he has? And he doesn't get too down on himself when he misses. He doesn't get too high when he hits a good one. You know, he's just a really good kid. I like this kid. There's something about his makeup. Like, to me, specialists are unique. I think corners and running backs and quarterbacks, as much tape, game tape you can put out there, that's great because it's 11 on 11. But for kickers, punters, you know, game tape's important. But there's so much that goes into it, and you guys have already kind of alluded to it. If I have a high school snapper that's a left tackle that he snaps one-handed just because he's the best we have, that's going to affect how I am as a kicker a little bit. So mm-hmm. it's good to see uh, – it's good to see just really the kid out of camp. So – I don't know if that would make a big difference or not. You know, the game film question, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it would be more just, I want to see the kid in person. Yep. Yeah. Like, like we mentioned earlier, uh, just seems like the uncut film idea, whether you're a snapper punter and kickers, almost probably the best route to make up for it. Cause you actually see up close their, the mechanics, how they rebound off of a miss hit and all that type of stuff. It almost seems like that could make up for it. If, if you don't quite get those opportunities for good game film. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with putting your best hits on one on a different one, you know, and mm-hmm. seeing you put a 74 yard punt out there, like, wow, impressive, you know, but what do you consistently do? Because you're not always going to hit a 74 yard punt. You know? yep. Exactly. Well, coach, the last thing I want to, I'd like to learn from you here is, is, you know, the Twitter game, you know, that's, that's really where the specialists can really interact with you guys. Uh, one, I'm curious how many DMS you get on a day from recruits, but as a recruit trying to reach out to you, in your opinion, what's the best thing that they could say or present to you in a Twitter DM to catch your attention? Uh, yeah, I get, I, you get a lot of them. Um, you know, I, I would just, for a kid that, that wants to kind of put himself out there, market himself, it's just a pretty simple, hey, coach, I'm, I'm Ian. Uh, please watch my long snapping tape. I really know a lot about South Dakota State. They should do some homework on us because otherwise it becomes very generic. If I get an email that says, coach, watch my tape, he probably carbon copied that to 700 coaches. And does he really know which coach he's really going to? So if you want me to be personal with you, make it personal to me. So, Mm -hmm. hey, Coach Erickson, you know, South Dakota State's great community. Don't know a ton about South Dakota. I live in Arizona, but, you know, would love to learn about it. Uh, please watch my film. I think you'll, you'll be impressed. Mm-hmm. And that's just a general intro, but just something to introduce yourself to me. Tell me that you know that you're actually talking to me at my, at my university, and then um, let's start the conversation. Then I'll, I'll watch it. I mean, I'll, I'll watch kids anyways, but that's the easiest way for me to really kind of dive into I like this kid. I like his personality. He seems like he's got – he took the time – Mm-hmm. to put a little lo- like personal touch on him. If he does that, then he's sincere about this conversation. So, so in general, it, um, you, it seems like you take a look at almost every DM you possibly could. If, like, if, if it comes through, you're just going to at least take a peek and see I will. if it catches your eye right away? I will. I will. But, and, but the, again, the presentation will tell me a lot, too. You know, I, you get, you know, for example, you know, I probably got a five – today that it's six word sentence not one word not one word is capitalized um and it's just not very well presented 
-hmm. that tells me this kid didn't put a lot of thought into this. Um, so I might, I might not watch the video all the way through just because if I'm not impressed early and he didn't give me a good impression early, I just don't know if it's going to work out at the end. So, um, I don't know if that's answering your question, but that's just being, you know, candid with it. No, that's great. Coach, this has been really an informative discussion and I've learned a lot. I think it's been very beneficial for, for all involved and all this, uh, that's viewing this. Uh, we always like to finish off all of our fourth down experience podcasts over the last few years and, and moving forward with our staple question. And, um, whether it's from your playing days, uh, or your coaching days or both, uh, we would just love to hear, you know, your experiences, but, um, what are five of your favorite stadiums that you've competed in? That I've competed in. Well, I must say I had the luxury of, um, playing a spring game, in, you know, at the Dyke house here in, in Brookings. And I love the stadium. I mean, it's new, it's gorgeous. It's, uh, it's got all the amenities. It's, it's a great place. So I think our place here is, is fantastic. Um, playing days. Um, I had the privilege to play at the old Metrodome uh, my oh, yeah. senior year. Yeah. There was a border battles, division three versus division two. We were division three Platteville playing division two Morris. And uh, so I don't know if guys our age remember the border battle, but uh, we played in that and that was really fun. And obviously it's not there anymore, but it just, being there in this huge NFL stadium, yeah, there was maybe 700 people in the game, but it was it was awesome. It was it was just cool to be in that kind of venue. Um, obviously, my I played at UW Platteville. Ralphie Davis Pioneer Stadium is the stadium there, and it holds about 11,000 people, so it's a big stadium. And um, the community support in Platteville, smaller town, about 14,000 people. Platteville, they 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 did a great job of bringing people in and, and supporting our team. So that's always going to have a soft spot in my heart. I, mean, I just remember playing a ton of games there, close games, um, you know, that were just – that were very memorable and meeting all the guys and my teammates. So Ralphie Davis is, is, is going to be my favorite stadium. Um, in terms of coaching in, um, besides obviously now here in Brookings at the Dyke, at the Dyke House, um, you know, Perkins Stadium at Whitewater – is a pretty special place as well. It's uh, it's a big stadium as well, holds over 11,000. And, and I remember 2015 or 2016, we played in front of the record crowd at that point of 17,000 people uh, for a Division three game is is really impressive. And that that was one of my favorite favorite environments. And we won a, a three point game. Defense got a sack at the end to, to seal it. And that would probably be my all time favorite game ever being a part of. And that stadium was was always rocking, always vibrant. The fans were fantastic there. And um, so those would be my most memorable stadiums and my most memorable moments, I guess, as a, as a player and a coach. I'm just curious, Coach, with Whitewater, they're obviously their powerhouse. They've been like that for a while. Did you ever get an opportunity at the Stag Bowl to coach? Yeah, last year there, uh, we, we played and lost to uh, North Central College out of Chicago in the Stag mm -hmm. Bowl Championship. And it was, uh, it was a great experience it's down in – um, Shenandoah, Texas, um, and it was just – it was a great – it was a great setup. They did a tremendous job. But, yeah, we uh, were on the wrong end of that one. So that one's still kind of – is a dagger a little bit. Sure. All right. <laughs> well, thanks, Coach Erickson. We appreciate your time with us um, and the knowledge you gave back on just special teams items and recruiting. You know, I think – we think there's going to be a lot of listeners that will like what, what they hear. So, uh, special, just make sure you reach out to Coach Erickson if you have interest in South Dakota State as a program. and. 
obviously he told you the right way to reach out to him. That's going to catch his attention. So uh, we wish you guys all, all the best of luck. And then also coach, uh, as you guys prepare for spring football, right? Spring football season, you know, good luck this season as well. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. And um, always a pleasure. Yep. Thank you. Take Thank care. you so much, coach. Have a good night. Yep. Yep. You too.